the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends But when I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America Welcome, this is Karen Schoen, and you are listening to the Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Please go to the Alliance website, and that is goflca.org. Learn what the Alliance is doing. You will be very impressed with our micro schools. This is an incredible project that will help you get your children out of those indoctrination clinics masquerading as public schools, government schools. If we have any hope for our future, it is to get our kids out of these indoctrination clinics, which are teaching nothing other than hatred, hatred of your family, hatred of God, hatred of your country. And these, I now believe 100% that the Democrat Party is totally based in Marxist uh, ideology. And nothing is going to change my mind from that, because as a former teacher, I am seeing what the children are not learning in school. And one thing we have learned about school is that everything that's taught in school is utilized at some point in our lives. So if school focuses on hate, then eventually you're going to hate. And this is a big problem that we have. The other problem that we have is our lack of ingenuity, our lack of creativity, because the Marxist ideology demands that you believe in what they tell you. Otherwise, you are evil. You are a seditionist. You are treasonous. You are a traitor. You have to believe what they believe. Otherwise, they have the right to do whatever it is that they want, like rob your store, rob your person, steal your car, steal your house. It doesn't make any difference because you are a non-believer. And this is what is being promoted in our schools. You can see that with the results. Our children are leaving our schools and they can't read, write, and do simple math. The next time you're talking to one of your liberal friends, ask them, can your grandchildren read? Can your grandchildren compute? The answer is going to be no. Or can your children? A definite no, because they have no clue. And they are not being taught anything of substance. What they are being taught are superficial feelings, which amount to nothing. And I'm beginning to believe, actually, I am not beginning. I truly do believe that racism is just a justification for bad behavior. So if I don't like what you're doing in school and you're not doing your work, and I say, oh, you're not doing your work, then I'm called a racist. Am I being called a racist because the 
person is not doing their work? Or am I being called a racist because the person is a person of color? What is this racist aura that is so loosely defined that everything we do today that somebody doesn't like is considered racism. And when you have a mindset like that, it's very hard to advance unless you ask the why questions. Why somebody calls me a racist, my remark, my next remark to them is, can you give me an example of when I was a racist? And usually it comes out because I didn't like a bad behavior that they were doing, which has nothing to do with race. It has to do with their personality and with an adjustment that needs to be made on bad behavior. But they don't want to do that. It's easier to put you in the bucket called racism, just call you a name and leave. And this is what is going on in school. It cannot be tolerated. So what can we do? to help, to fix, to do anything. Is there any hope for our children? Well, the good news is, folks, great Americans are stepping up. And each one of them is doing something in their realm of of what they can do and promoting it and bringing it forward and sharing it. Because I also believe that having knowledge doesn't mean anything unless you apply it unless you share it with others. What's the point of knowing that something is going to happen if you don't tell anybody else? So this is the problem that we are facing with our future. And unless we do some corrections, our future is going to be very, very dim. But the good news is, as I said before, we have wonderful Americans who have stepped up. And we're fortunate enough to have one as a guest today. And his name is Chad Robert Stewart. And he is an international award-winning and best-selling author. But what I liked is that he's also an educator. And he is a global strategist. And all of these things are filtered throughout his work. That's what I wanted to share with all of you. Regular Americans doing wonderful things to help promote our great country. Chad, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. I'm coming to you from uh, San Diego, California. Oh, my goodness. So is, I have to ask the question, is San Francisco really as bad as I see the pictures? It is, yes. (laughs) How sad. This is. Yeah, it is. What has been done to our cities, to our country in the name of quote, racism, is really an atrocity. This is going to continue unless we stop it. And one of the things that I liked about Chad is that you have taken creativity and you have created an institute, the Britfield Institute. Can you share with everyone what that is? Yes, it's um, real quick. I'm originally from Newport Beach, California. I was back east in uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts for 16 years, where I did my undergraduate and graduate work in British literature and European history. And so over 10 years ago, uh, I had an idea to uh, write a fun, creative uh, novel. Um, And at the time, it was only one book, and it was called Britfield. And I wanted to kind of return to that childhood wonderment and that excitement and that fun. And so spending uh, four years, 2,500 hours, and uh, produced a 384-page Britfield and the Lost Crown, which takes place in current time in England, and uh, it's about Tom and Sarah, two orphans. And so what's great about the book is is, is uh, it's become a, a seven-book series, and we've launched um, 
two books since then, Britfield and the Rise of the Lion and Britfield and the Return of the Prince. And uh, each book takes place in a different country. Book one is in England, book two is in France, book three is in uh, Italy. And each book, uh, what's great about it is number one, it's based in reality. It's based in real time. There's no witchcraft. There's no demigods. There's no uh, supernatural nonsense, which is really uh, penetrated, you know, the media and, and the schools and the libraries. And so it's a book that kids can read and they can relate to. And while they're reading it, they're learning about history, geography, art, architecture, and culture. There's interactive maps uh, in the front front it was the last time a child's looking at a map, right? And so there's five maps in each book. And it hits on the, the foundation, which is family, friendship, loyalty, and courage. And it hits the four C's, creativity, critical thinking, communication, and collaboration. Wow, that is phenomenal, folks. These are the th- tools that our children need to succeed. And sadly, their parents never got them. So I have to ask you this question. Why did you do this? What motivated you to come up with this brilliant idea? And I think we all have it. We're all born creative. And whether we feel that we're creative or not, we're all born with creativity. But unfortunately, as the years progress, specifically in the educational system, that creativity is 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 destroyed and pushed outside of us. And uh, but at any point in time, we can always return to creativity. And so I was sort I was actually an investment banker uh, in Boston, and I was dying to do something fun and creative. And I'm, I was sort of answering your question with the institute because what was born from uh, the Britfield series was the Britfield Institute, and our focus with the institute is to bring creativity back into the classroom. And so we kicked we kicked off in 2019, we kicked off a um, uh, uh, multiple school tours and ended up driving 9,000 miles. I visited 23 states. I presented uh, to over 200 schools in front of more than 40,000 students. And so we were boots on the ground. So this isn't all sort of flashover substance or research we've done. I was out there, you know, uh, all the way up to Seattle, all the way across towards Chicago, all the way down to uh, New Orleans and all the way up to Memphis, Tennessee. And so uh, we came into every type of school you can imagine, you know, public, private, uh, charter, Christian, Catholic. And um, the kids were amazing. And I'd have uh, auditoriums of anywhere from two to three to four hundred students, fourth through eight. And we just, I was there to really um, excite them, to get them motivated, to inspire them. And I wasn't there, you know, as flashover substance trying to sell something. I was just, I was just talking, you know, about my idea for Britfield Lost Crown, how it took me 10 years, 10 years of hard work, uh, dedication, commitment, failure, rejection. So we finally launched, you know, the first of a seven book series. And then we talk a little bit about, about the importance of creativity and story writing and uh, storytelling. And so... It's just been amazing. It's been, the feedback has been amazing. It's uh, the book, Britfield Lost Crown, is one of the most awarded books in children's fiction. Uh, we're a national bestseller. We're, we're already global. And so uh, we're in the works of the first movie. We, we translate, translated the uh, first book into a theatrical play specifically for elementary and middle schools. Um, so everything we're, we're doing, if you will, because I, I heard your, your introduction at the beginning, which is very true and accurate and very unfortunate, especially on the public system. Uh, but we're sort of countering that by by creating a solution. It's one of many, but it's a solution to get kids engaged in reading, engaged in literature, and reading about, if you will, real stories, real people, real places. And so little by little, we call it stealth education, you know, they're learning <laughs> about cultures. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yes, and I was going to say how important that is. And one of the things, questions that I wanted to ask you is that as you traveled our vast Uh, country and went to different parts of the country, did you find that 
children are different all over the country or basically do they all want the same things? They did. They did. And it's a great question. <clears throat> you know, so like so after, you know, a year and a half and all of that impact and travel, you know, um, what was it like in, in um, you know, uh, uh, top private schools or uh, Title One schools and kids, kids are kids. Kids are amazing, especially at that age, that sort of 9, 10, 11 and 12. Quite frankly, they they're they're amazing. And from the top uh, private schools in Los Angeles where movie stars children go to um, tough Title I schools in Dallas, Texas, I didn't find a difference. I, did, I honestly found I didn't find any difference. Kids are born wonderful. Kids are born creative. Um, environment does impact it, but when it comes down to it, um, you know, the same types of feedback, questions, interaction I had throughout the United States was the same. And that is exactly the point, folks. Your kids have a desire to create a desire to innovate, a desire to put things together, to do something different. And yet school is taking that away from them. This is the sad part of school. School is not supposed to instill values. School is to instill the tools that they need to form their own values. We're not supposed to be taking our values and pushing it on children or on anyone, as a matter of fact, but basically on children, because as you heard, this is their most creative time. And who will create the next generation of whatever, who will be the next scientist, who will be the next uh, innovator of a new product that everybody loves and wants to have if children are not allowed to express their creativity. And I truly believe that that is what is going on in school today. They are not allowed to express because every time they go to express, the results are always the same. And that's one thing that we can always count on Marxists to do. No matter what is said, no matter what is done, the results always come back to the same thing, which is you're a victim. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your parents. And as a result, the school is your family. The school is not your family. The school purpose is to instill the skill sets within you, the creativity, the innovation that is necessary for you to be the best human being that you can be and be an, an asset to society, not a deficit. I know that the most important skill to me is creativity and innovation. And I always learned when I was a teacher that if I gave a child, I, I found out what interests that child. I'm interested in cars. I'm interested in boats, planes, whatever. Whatever interested that child, if I gave them back books that had that interest, my gosh, they could read. What an amazing thing because they're interested in it. Did you find that? Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting. It's, uh, uh, you know, children are not, children will never discover what they're capable of doing until they're given the opportunity to do it. And so it's, it's giving them those chances, especially in the schools. I will say this that's interesting is that we are, as a nation, we're, we're in a educational reformation right now, which is good. That's the good side of it. And we're in a homeschool revolution. I mean, homeschooling market has gone from 5 million to over 15 million in two years, which is, which is incredible. And, and you were saying at the beginning of your uh, introduction, you know, pull your, pull your kids out of the, 
the public system. And uh, so, so that's, yes, I agree, but like, what do you do with them? And um, I think homeschooling is one incredible opportunity. And I think, I think parents think too, it's like, well, we both work and, and we can't stay home. And I think the entire homeschool network and organization nationally has has grown so large that you don't necessarily have to stay home and there's homeschool groups that you can drop them off at and i will tell you this um the homeschool kids that i have met are the best educated kids uh period better than private better than public better than any other educational system they're um, they're well-rounded um they're grounded uh they ask questions they have a wonderful um sense of maturity and they're often uh two to three grades ahead of where they would normally be in an institution and, uh, you know, you have 15, 16 year olds already taking college courses, which is the way it should be. The whole yes. system is is broken. The whole system is is ridiculous. The whole system is based on a 200 year old industrial model, you know, with with the greatest characteristic that a 12 year old has is to put all 12 year olds in a classroom. You know, <laughs> and I mean, just everything about it. I mean, the, the eight hours a day, the 40 hours a week is just absolutely lunacy and nonsense. Um, I, there's a great story of a friend of mine here in San Diego. And her son was, um, he, he was sick. He kind of, he had a sort of a, a, a bad flu and she had to pull him out of school for, for the year, or at least for the semester. And, um, and so she, you know, I asked the school and said, please send home, you know, all, all the work, all the homework that he needs to do, uh, for the entire year. And, and they did. And she said, he sat down and within one month, he'd completed everything he needed to do. And, and he wasn't necessarily um, um, a stellar student, if you will. He was just an average student. But the point is, is he had the time to just concentrate, you know, on the different subjects and get through it. And, um, and I think that's really the way it is. If, if you were to be able to teach the subjects uh, that you're trying to do each, each day and each, each week within two to three hours, you would complete everything that would need to be done. And then the child would have the rest of the time to play, to invent, to have fun, to talk, to, you know, to read, to do a hundred other things, to go down to the park and play. Right. Um, but you know, but they're in these institutions that, that just, you waste so much time. So. Well, that, that has to justify their salaries and the, um, what they are asking for in money and which it always all boils down to money, but you're a hundred percent right. And this is something, a misnomer that homeschool parents before they become homeschool parents are afraid of. I can't devote eight hours a day to be teaching my child. Well, the good news is you don't have to because yeah. it's not necessary to do that. If we follow the scientific method, oh my goodness, of learning, you would present the problem to your child and then go through that problem with various tools, reading, writing, math. How do you solve that problem? And that's your lesson for the day. And it's not necessary to spend eight hours doing something like that. It could usually be accomplished in three or four hours. And then you're right, the child then has has the ability to create, to uh, do whatever they want, but you make that lesson part of the lesson of the day. Apply what you just learned to what you're doing. And that is what's teaching the child priorities, application of learning, and all of the skills that are necessary for them to be able to draw their own conclusions, to make their own assumptions, to make their own ideas. And then to find out if those ideas work or don't work. They're not allowed to do that today. Today, they must follow whatever the Marxist, and I'm going to use that word all the time because this is what this describes. It is a 
one thought process. Everyone must think exactly the same. And if you don't think that way, then you are ostracized in some shape or form. If you're a child, you may be pulled out of class and put in a detention center or whatever. And if you're a parent uh, and you go and you try to find out why your child can't create or why they're learning hatred in their schools, then you're the one that the venom and wrath is turned upon. So this is a very tight-knit group that I am sorry to say I was part of, but I knew in advance that what what the kids were learning was something I could never teach, and I didn't. And I remember when I quit teaching was the day that I walked in the book room and I went to pick the older books. I looked for the books that were the oldest ones that I could find because they had the most information. The newer textbooks were slanted towards ridiculous things uh, that made no sense, like man-made global warming. And now we have a society that believes that. And that is very sad, but there are alternatives. And getting your children out of the public indoctrination center is the way. Um, Chad, can you tell everyone where they can find your books and where they, what's your project? You're working on a new project, a movie I see. So what is that all about? Yeah, so um, they can always visit our website. It's an award-winning website called Britfield, B-R-I-T-F-I-E-L-D, Britfield.com. And it has over, uh, what's great is for book one, Britfield Lost Crown, it has over 400 pictures of England. So all the places that Tom and Sarah visit, you know, from Yorkshire to Oxford to Windsor to London to Canterbury, you can pull up those pictures. It's got interactive maps. It's got over 100 pages of information, history. It uh, follows our, our book tour. It has all our products. Um, we have a trilogy special. We have book, books one, two, and three, and uh, all types of things. Uh, we also have the play on there. So if you're if you're a school or you're a homeschool group and you guys want to put on a really awesome, cool, current play, we transitioned Britfield Lost Crown into an 85-minute, you know, two-act theatrical play with roles for over 30 students. And uh, that, that's exciting. We launched that. Um, we piloted that last October over four nights to great success. And we launched it globally um, in, in January of this year. And we are now um, in the process of uh, development stages of the first Britfield Lost Crown movie. There'll be uh, uh, it's the first of seven major motion pictures. And if all goes well, <clears throat> but we'll see. We're hoping that it would be launched um, globally in uh, December 2024. It might get moved to, to 2025. We anticipate that the, um, the movie Britfield Lost Crown will be one of the most successful films in cinematic history for a lot of the reasons that you talked about on your show today and, and previously. Um, just about how hungry parents and the nation and the world are for, for just good stories that aren't tainted, that don't have an agenda that aren't bent, that aren't pushing crap and garbage. And I'll be honest, the majority of the world are just absolutely sick of it and, and tired of it. It's coming, it is coming to a crescendo and there is a great reckoning coming to those that have been behind all this disgusting agenda crap. Um, they're, they're the walking dead right now. Their life will be become very short, but point being uh, the Britfield movie will be very well embraced and uh, hugely successful. And what is the website again? It's uh, it's uh, Britfield.com, B-R-I-T-F-I-E-L-D, Britfield.com. 
Well, folks, there are alternatives. And one of the alternatives is please take a look at Britfield, especially if you are a homeschooler. Nothing is better than watching your child achieve something and a role in a play is so exciting because not only do they have that role, but they add their personality to it. And it's that creativity that enables your child to make decisions for their future life. And that is so important. The other item is the Florida Citizens Alliance, goflca.org, and check into the micro school initiative. That is extremely important because that will show you how you as a homeschool parent never have to be alone. There is always groups around you that will help and assist you and your child get a true education. And as Chad just shared with you, the students that that go through a homeschool education are far superior than the ones who have had the indoctrination. It is so sad to see that happen to the schools, but we can fix that. And that's up to us. And that's what America is all about. Great Americans doing wonderful things to help promote America. And Chad, I want to thank you for being one of those great Americans. And we look forward to seeing your new film. That is going to be very exciting. Um, Any parting words? Because unfortunately, we are at the end of our segment. Yeah, just again, our main focus is on education. And as parents, you are responsible for your children. And, and it is it is different. I, I was blessed. I was raised in uh, Corona Del Mar, which is in Newport Beach, California, and I had a great elementary school. And I really had wonderful teachers. But unfortunately, things have just changed. Um, it's not to say that all public schools are bad, but most are. And, they, and unfortunately, they all have to sort of pull the line. And so there are just wonderful, wonderful opportunities out there for kids. And what's great about the homeschool kids, and, and again, I have no particular stake in it myself. I just know for a fact, and I'm, I'm excited about the homeschooling children and the parents that do it is that they're they can think for themselves right i mean they, they're yeah. very critical thinking they, they look at things differently they they ask questions they're not afraid to make mistakes that is life and that is what um that's the foundation of, of our future the children are our future and that's the foundation of our future that's why creativity putting creativity back in the classrooms and, and inspiring children to not just read but write uh, is what Brickfield's all about And that is a wonderful series, folks. And please uh, check into it and check into Go FLCA for the Florida Citizens Alliance. Remember, you don't have to live in Florida to copy our work. We expect you to copy it. We want you to copy it. It's there for you to copy. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to Karen Schoen. This is the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. And we will be right back. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. 
Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code out loud and get 20% off. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work. REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed ingredients supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe. Air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Welcome back, everyone. This is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance, Go FLCA, and pay attention to the micro schools and see what you can do to stop the money going to public schools, but most important, get your children out of those indoctrination clinics that we call public schools and allow them to be able to innovate and create in a new environment. Now, one of the things that sadly I learned as a teacher, and I went to school and I have a gazillion credits after my master's degree because I was going to go into psychology until I realized that all psychology was based on blaming somebody else. And this is not right. Our problems are our problems, and we have to learn, and that's what school is supposed to do. Teach us how to cope, not go crawl in a hole and say, I'm a victim and everybody hates me, and I hate everybody else. And if you don't believe me, I hate you more. Uh, This is not what our children are supposed to be learning in school. And then the other side of this coin was, and I always constantly say money, 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 always follow the money. Well, If you take your child out of public school, then the school does not get paid for the education of your child. 
And that's what you want. So if enough people, even two, three, four percent, kept their children out of public school, that amounts to a huge amount of loss for the public school. And until they start losing, they are not going to make any changes. But if they started losing money in mass, then they would be forced to listen as to why you would be taking your child out of public school. One of the things that public schools do that I abhor is they are too free to say, oh, your child is misbehaving. Let's try this drug. Let's try that drug. And our kids walk around like zombies, incapable of doing anything. And this is so sad because what happens, well, Take a look at Hunter Biden. He's a perfect example of what happens to a child when drugs becomes their answer, when drugs are needed to make them cope. And what are they coping with? Some irrelevant garbage that has nothing to do with them while they're being told, you can't think that. You have to think the way we want you to think. Well, this is not education, and this is what is going on in our schools. We're lucky today we have Barbie Rivera to join us. And Barbie Rivera is a mom who took what the school was saying and said, no, not for my child, but I'm going to let Barbie tell you her story because it is an amazing story of what one can do helping their own child learn. Barbie, thank you so much for joining me. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. And I know you have a phenomenal story to tell because you took your child out of public school when your child was cited as mentally handicapped? That's what her. happened there? Okay, so this is 32 years ago in a public school in Miami. Uh, my oldest son, he was six at the time. His name is Damon. Brilliant boy, like six years old, fluent in two languages and exceptionally well-behaved. Got along very well with his siblings. I had four under the age of six, six and, and younger. So I put him in school figuring, oh, they're going to love him. He's honest. He's very respectful. And it was two weeks into the year, just two weeks into the year that the teacher pulled me aside saying he is mentally handicapped because he confused the B and the D and the six and the nine. And I'm like, well, he's six and they look alike. He does not confuse a cow and a water bottle. He's not mentally handicapped. And there was one thing that I wanted to say. I have a family member with a a Down syndrome daughter who's the same age as Damon. And I'm like, at age six, my son was going on sleepovers. He was baiting his own hook when he would go fishing. You know, he was very independent in terms of a six-year-old. You know, I still have, you know, I had him on a schedule. You have to feed them. You have to put them to bed, brush your teeth, all of that. But as a six-year-old, to me, he was on point where my family member with a Down syndrome, truly handicapped child, the family had to change their entire life. The girl was not, you know, was wearing diapers through to teenage years. So to put my son in a handicapped is, a, to me, it's wrong for the handicapped families. It's a slap in their face because my son was not handicapped. He confused the B and the, and the D. And I'm like, okay, but we can make that out of Play-Doh. Like, what do we do with that? Do we just label instantly? 
And that was the thing. And it really, really agitated me because I'm like, okay, my son was also afraid of the dark. So do we label him afraid of the dark for the rest of his life? Is there a drug that's going to teach him the difference between the B and the D? No, there isn't. So I ended up taking him out of school by the end of first grade. Well, actually, let me back up a minute. I was very pregnant with my youngest child. So Damon would have been labeled if I would have allowed him. It was September of the year and I had Michael in November. So I was huge. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to teach my son better than what the school system is. Regretfully, I left Damon in school till the end of first grade, thinking they still could do a better job. I'll work with him after school. And it's one of my biggest regrets. I feel like looking back, I feel like I left my son in a burning building, like because they were so pushy on the drug and on the label. And at the end of first grade, my son knew, knew in his heart, he was stupid. And it was heartbreaking to watch. So I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going to take you out. Now, I've never gone to college. I have no background. I just knew that my son had the capability of learning because anything I taught him in the house to do, he did, like without an issue. But Amazing. Took, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and the other thing on this is that Okay, my son, I'm a very hands-on mom. Like, I think I told, I read stories to my children for nine years, you know, because you have one, you do story, 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 then the next one comes along, story, 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 the next one comes along. You know, it's like, I read the stories, I had a schedule, I had snacks, I, I had activities, there was a lot of art. I didn't let them watch a lot of TV. They watched some, but not it was not the main source of their entertainment. They had sleepovers. The friends came over. They helped do dishes. They helped around the house, you know, and it was a very, to me, normal family, which now I find out that that's abnormal. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. That's the way a family should be. And... That is the way a family should be. And I'm like, if my son is targeted, we are done as a country. Like I had that, I'm like, we are done. And unfortunately, your son was targeted because I remember when I was teaching any child that misbehaved that I would have to send to the quote counselor would wind up with some prescription for some drug, basically because the child was acting out. So I started doing a little digging and I found out why the child was acting out. Mostly mm -hmm. it was because they were bored. They didn't like yeah. the topic. Uh, they were ahead. They were done. They were finished reading that chapter and they had to sit around and wait for the slowest person to be also be done. So this is where the trouble started. If we do a little digging, we will find out that there is always a reason for something. And school does not find the reason. School has an answer, and that answer is drugs. Why? That's right. Because drugs bring them money. And that's right. That's what this is. This is money. Right. And the thing is, is my son didn't misbehave. My son was, yes, sir, yes, like I say, extremely respectful. And all that my boy wanted, like first day of school, he had his hair cut, he had his Ninja Turtle lunchbox. And he's expecting that the adults in his life, which the adults in his life cared for him. His, 
He had a great family, extended family as well. They all loved him. He goes to school and it's just, you don't do this right. 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 And, and he's getting homework. He had to do book reports and he couldn't read. I'm like, this is insanity. And, and I, I'm, to me, at least in elementary school, I'm a public school success story. I went to public school in Cincinnati, Ohio. My principal knew, I mean, I guess there were like 600 kids in the kindergarten to sixth grade. He went to the classrooms. He did his rotations every week and went in and he would say, oh my goodness, look at how good your handwriting is. Look at this. There was, we didn't get homework until fifth grade. And that was maybe writing spelling words three times each. We were expected to be with our families. We were expected to be on baseball teams or doing gymnastics or doing something after school. So when my son, who can't read and is already frustrated, is getting packets of 15, 20 pages to do for homework, I'm like, this is, again, this is insanity. We're not inspiring him to learn. We're, we're destroying his, his even want to learn because he's equating learning with something that's painful. Like, yes, you're setting them up and, to and fail. We're setting him up to fail. And after I took him out of school and I started homeschooling him, my daughter was four and my son is seven. And I ended up that first week because I'm like, I'm not going to just homeschool my own kids. I, I need I need to work. So I charged family and friends. And I ended up with 11 kids and two of them. Well, and then I had my two that were in diapers, the newborn and a toddler. I know crazy times, but it worked. But I had to keep my seven-year-old or my four-year-old daughter away from my seven-year-old. She had never thought she was stupid. I had to overcome. It took me two years to get my son's confidence back. Wow. Two years. Where my daughter finished kindergarten in eight weeks. She knew her sounds of letters. She She knew how to write the words and all of these things. And I'm like, yeah. And my other two boys, they grew up homeschooling. And they never once thought that they were stupid. They all had they all had little businesses when they were in the, you know, 10, 11, and 12. Like, and and to me, that's what that's what I did when I was a kid. Set up a lemonade stand. Oh, look, we made six dollars, you know. And we were encouraged in my generation to do that. This generation here is encouraged to watch TV. Encouraged to watch TV and at school. Stay in your seat and we're going to drug you. Yep. They want them only to agree with what they give out as the premise. That's it. There is nothing else. So if you go to school and uh, the teacher says the sky is orange, then even though you're looking at a blue sky, it doesn't make any difference because the teacher says, and this is what our children are learning. The teacher is not your friend. The teacher is there to Make sure that your child has the proper skill set so that as they go on through their lives, they're able to make informed decisions. That's the real purpose of school. That's the purpose right, that of is. education. That, that is. And unfortunately, and I don't want to like come down on the teachers because I believe that the teacher, the person goes to college thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to be able to help. And again, when I went to school, my teacher had control over her room. It was, she did, if, if we needed more time learning the multiplication tables, we, we were allowed to take more time. 
And I remember, you know, again, I remember third grade was all multiplication and division tables. That was the entirety of the year so that we had it for the rest of our lives. Now, third grade, one page is pre-algebra. The next one is fractions. The next one is this. The next one is that. And the kids are just confused. Plus, you mix in the common core nonsense. Um, and yes. math is no longer math. These kids can't think. And, and they're not they're not given playtime in terms of like like games to play. That was another one of my successful actions. My kids grew up. They were given, okay, you have some seat time on your reading, your writing, your math. Now we're going to apply, for example, fractions. You guys are going to go bake some cookies. And if they come out good, your fractions are are rock, are, are on point. If they come out bad, we're going to go back to math. But there was always some Let's get the definitions of the words. Let's get the purpose. Now let's go apply it in real life. With fractions, it's baking is a perfect way of applying that. Money, we're going we're gonna to come up with something where they have to manage some money. And if they don't manage it well, okay, it doesn't really matter that much. What did we lose? $20. But what did we gain? We gained lifelong lesson on managing money. That's the point. That's what I want. I want independent children who grow up and they are capable of solving their problems. Not, as you said in the beginning, victims, incapable, and they don't even know that they're incapable. It is so sad. Bobby, you started your own school. Can you share that with everyone? Because this is a show where we are trying to make sure that everyone has ammunition to be able to fight the behemoth called the Department of Education. Okay, well, I'll give you two points to this, because there's the startup, which, you know, I ended up with um, like I say, 11 kids the first year that I was homeschooling and it just grew. And then I think it was in 2001, a woman came to my house with a 10 year old who couldn't read. And she's like, I need help. And I'm like, okay, here's how this is going to go. My 17 year old son, Damon, the one that was mentally handicapped is going to get your daughter through an academic program. And we're going to go back to kindergarten. She doesn't know her alphabet sounds of letters, this, that, and the other. There's going to be no homework. And I don't want you harassing her with flashcard. Like when school's over, school's over. Because we need to, this girl had had enough of every expert telling her how she was never going to learn. So my son worked with her. Again, super simple. Uh, phonics, make the letters in clay. Uh, make the letter B, make a ball, make a bat, make something that started with B and worked with her. In eight weeks, he had this girl at a third grade level in phonics, language, and math. No homework, four hours a day. And the mother was like, I have spent thousands on psychologists and psychiatrists and tutors, and none of them, they all said that she would never be able to learn. I'm like, well, that's a false information. She goes, and here I have this teenager that comes along who's who was taken out of school and after the first grade who apparently is more competent than this team that I I've hired um so this woman gave me a hundred thousand dollars to get the school out of my house she's like you can't keep this for yourself we need to get other people involved we need there's more children and that's how I ended up in 
being a private school because when you transition from home to a commercial location, your identity changes in, in terms of building and zoning, in terms of what you can call yourself, right? Because when I was a homeschooler, I had the parents withdraw their children into homeschooling and they just paid me to do it. And I kept all of the requirements for the state. I kept their their daily logs. I kept examples of work. I did testing. You know, I did all of it. Um, but now I want to go to part two because this is to me, all right, I love what I do. I'm about to turn 59, which I'm still young. I still have some years ahead of me. But in all honesty, this school, if I don't take action, the correct action will die when I die. And it's just not, I can't do that. I have wonderful teachers. I have wonderful staff. But still, this has been my baby. This has been my passion. And I'm the one who sees the psychologist that comes to school that are like, yeah, we want, we want your help drugging this child. I'm like, we're not doing it. I'm not, I'm not signing off on this. Um, anyway, so over the pandemic, I had, I mean, I had downtime and I looked at like, okay, when was the United States number one in the world educationally? Because we should be number one. We're the strongest country. We should be number one. We're not. So I found uh, a quote that in 1913, the United States was considered number one educationally, with 99% of public school students being literate. Now, to be fair, that 99% of the early 1900s probably does not include women, and it probably does not include minorities. But still, if we just look at 99% of white boys were literate in public school. That's a great statistic. Further, it was quoted that the public school reading uh, program at the time was so strong, it could wipe out worldwide illiteracy. So then you go, what happened? Well, what happened was, and I'm not going to get into all of this, Rockefeller came in and brought the experts in and they just ruined it. Like it started ruining But I'm like, okay, I know that what created the strength to begin with, if we re-implement it, it could do it all over again. And that's really been the success of my school. I use old materials. Like I use math books that aren't current math books. The current math books are published. They're horrible. And they're published by... Uh, Pearson Publishing, which is owned by World Bankers, they also own ADHD labs. I'm like, okay, I'm not interested in their products. And that's what the school system is pushing. Person gets confused in math because they're deliberately confusing. The books are, are not helpful. So I've always used older textbooks. So right now I have a collection of over 400 lesson plans, textbooks, uh, reading, mainly reading, uh, grammar and math. I have some science just because I want to see how it was back in the day. And I realize science has changed, you know, but still my passion right now is to take those textbooks, bring them back to life and put them, uh, to a lesson plan that anybody, you don't have to have a degree to understand it, put it together so that people can homeschool or start their schools 
and have a success at it. Oh, I could not agree more. And that was one of the reasons why I quit teaching when I went into the book room and I couldn't find any books that were beyond 19, uh, 1990s um, and 1980s. I always looked for the books that were from the 60s. Yes. And that is when education at least was education and our kids were learning. And you're absolutely right. So please, folks, do not think that Common Core went anyplace. It did not. The only thing it it did was get its name changed. When a Marxist has a policy and the public says, I don't like that policy, they don't change the policy. They change the name so that you think the policy is different. They are still teaching the same Marxist principles, focusing on reading. They no longer teach phonics. They call it a new name. They call it phonemic awareness. So people think that it's phonics, but it's not. They teach the child whole word reading. If you don't know what the word is because you've memorized it and you don't recognize the pattern of the letters, then it's okay for you to make up your own word that fits. Yep. How do you know yep. that fits? So don't be fooled. This, this is what, uh, uh, Barbie, this is phenomenal because this is exactly what is necessary. Where can people find you? They can find me at my website, helpmiami.org. This summer, I am finishing a book. I'm actually going to be stepping out of my office. I'm just wrapping up report cards this week, but hopefully in the next two weeks, I'm wrapping up a book. And then that's going to lead to a whole other website. And hopefully this book does well because we need to fund the creation of this curriculum. This curriculum is not going to be created by myself alone. I am going to be on it. And however I structure it, it's going to be my stamp of approval and no one else. And I know that sounds arrogant, but I know what works and we're going to strip it back. And as you said, with phonics, phonics hasn't been taught correctly since the thirties. And I don't care what the, what the title of the book says, it says phonics, it's not phonics. And I wanted to bring up another thing Um, in Florida and, and in most States, I haven't investigated all States, a student that gets labeled, they get what's called an IEP. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes. An individual educational plan. Some places it's called program, but it's after the child has had this checklist performed and they've been prodded and probed, then you get the IEP, which is authored by usually five experts, right? Mm-hmm. They get together and they say, okay, this student needs to be closer to the teacher because they're hearing impaired. Personally, I don't need five people to tell me that. Child's hearing impaired, they're going to sit close to me. But they won't. The teacher cannot move a child that's hearing impaired closer to their desk without an IEP. And I think that's nonsense. Anyway, so it'll say this child gets extra time on testing because the teacher can't give the child extra time on testing unless they've been told to by experts, which makes a teacher a robot to nonsense. Barbie, we're going to have to uh, end today's segment. Barbie, I'm going to ask you to come back again. What we must do, folks, if we're going to help our country, our future, our children have any type of success in life, it is of utmost importance that we stop the lunacy of the drugs and of the irrelevance that's being taught in school. Get your kids out of 
those indoctrination clinics. And Barbie, thank you so much. Um, hopefully people will find you and find the school and learn from you and what you're doing because this is fantastic. Folks, this is what we need. And if you are interested at all, please Make sure you get a hold of Barbie and also go to the Florida Citizens Alliance and learn about the micro schools. Uh, this is exactly what Barbie is talking about. But again, it does not matter if the garbage in, garbage out. If you're teaching your kids from the same books that they have in school, they're not going to learn anything. That's so right. there are wonderful curriculas that you must get a hold of. And that's what we need to be doing. Thank you so much, Barbie, for joining me today. This is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Go FLCA and learn about the micro school. Thank you, Lee, for joining me today. But I'll always-